Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat, and uh, man, thanks for being here this weekend. Thanks for uh, uh, committing to be here just to worship Christ with God's people this weekend. And um, man, I, I just I, I've grown over time, just more and more to appreciate um, not only just the love that I have for Jesus and for God, but also the love I have for God's people, the love I have for God's Word. And uh, every time we gather together at our church, I want you to know that we're just we're just trying to advance the mission in our lives collectively and in our lives individually. And we just want to stir up in our hearts a commitment that, that our lives are to be lived for uh, God being glorified by us loving God, loving others, and making disciples of all nations. That's the mission of Christ Church. Um, every gathering point, every conversation is to advance that. It's for that purpose. And, uh, and so this morning, as we uh, continue in a series that's kind of been our summer series, um, is uh, this series, uh, Stories You Thought You Knew. And uh, as we've walked through this series, if you've been with us, you know that at times we've looked at some Old Testament stories that we've understood wrongly or incompletely, or maybe it's that there's some aspect of the truth of the story that we've wanted to see more clearly or more broadly how much weight it really has. And so today... Um, if, regardless of where you're coming from, maybe you're going to hear this story today and maybe you've never heard it before. We don't, we don't care. We're just glad you're here and we just kind of come as you are to this moment and we're going to learn together. And so get your Bibles open to uh, Judges chapter 6 and as you head there in your Bible, uh, let me uh, just pray for our time together. Uh, God, I thank you for each and every person here. I thank you for their life, their heart. I, uh, I'm asking that uh, in really a beautiful simplicity that you would uh, bring this word to bear on our lives where it needs to correct, I pray it would correct, where it needs to encourage or teach. Father, I just trust your spirit to do that. Um, as your word is preached and communicated, I pray that we would get a sense, God, of, of all the things that, that you're wanting to do in and through this message and we'd lean in. And so we just trust you in that, God, and thank you for uh, this time together in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so um, anyone who's been around the church or around a Christian culture knows that uh, there's times when um, the Christian culture sort of develops this way of thinking about things that leads to us starting to talk about things and we start to talk in a language that, that some people don't quite understand. Have you, guys, have you guys noticed that? Like we use words that some people understand, and particularly those who don't know Christ or don't know the Bible don't understand at all. And, and we can jokingly refer to that language as Christianese. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like these little pet phrases and references that we use, sometimes biblically accurate, sometimes not. And I think it's important to laugh at ourselves as opposed to making uh, the wrong uh, mistakes with certain truths again and again. And so um, within this subject of the Christian culture and the way we talk about things, there's one aspect of those conversations that causes so much stress and anxiety and frustration. And it comes around decision-making in the will of God, right? Have you ever been in a conversation or maybe processed with a, a pastor or a counselor and you ask the question, how do you know God's will? How do you know God's will? 
How did you figure out how to make that decision you just made? Like, what guided you in that? And so if you're not familiar with the Christian culture around this topic, let me just introduce you to it. Here's some common phrases that we use and sometimes might misuse. We, we use references like, God has opened the door, right? Or God has closed the door. It's like our way of saying, like, um, I, I, I'm supposed to move forward or I'm not supposed to move forward. I think sometimes I feel like at, at times the reference should be God slammed the door. You know, it's like, hey, that's the way it kind of felt when I understood God's truth. Um, another one that comes is people say, I have a peace from God about this. Now, I can understand, and we'll get to the end of this message, and we'll talk about the peace that I think God really wants to bring. I think sometimes we use the, I have a peace from God, when we are really uncomfortable telling someone the truth. You guys, you guys know how this plays out, right? It's like, the, it's like the, the guy that's being really creepy with the girl and asking her out over and over again, not getting the signal, and then she finally replies by saying, I just don't really have a peace about dating right now, which is a polite way to be like, yeah, you're being creepy, stop it. You know, we kind of we found this way of kind of making it a little more acceptable. Um, the language God gave me a sign is common in Christianese. The, what, what happens here that, that I see again and again is we, we attach random occurrences to God during a time when we're trying to make a decision and we're struggling through it and all of a sudden somebody's like, yeah, I was praying and then a, a bird appeared on my doorstep and I knew I should make the decision that I was praying in that moment. And I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure? Or, or they come, somebody opens the Bible randomly to something and they're like, okay, now the decision's made. Or they get a, the timing of a phone call and now this for sure is, is God's uh, a direction for my life. Or they decode some Bible code and they're like, yeah, so I added up all these verses that I read today and it equaled this number. And this number was the offer that I got for that job, so I for sure should take that job. Are you talking about? God gave me a sign. And then the one we're going to talk about today. I put out a fleece. This is, now I understand that the fleece likely was lamb's wool, so I understand my, my using this fleece. This is alpaca wool from our friends, the Mayettes and our church, and so I know that alpaca wool is not biblically accurate, okay? So, but you just work with me here. And, uh, and so this idea of putting out a fleece is from the passage we're gonna talk about, and it's this idea that I did something to try to create a confirmation that God has a direction for me. And so we use these references, this sort of Christianese, but the question we've got to ask today is, is that really the point of the passage? And so get your Bibles, look down with me if you're in Judges chapter 6. Let's look at this together because I believe that there might be a more biblically accurate way and faithful way to think about the foundation of decision-making in the will of God than some of the things we classically can turn to. And by the end of this message, I hope you'll see that uh, the foundation of our decision-making should not be these spiritually subjective things. We need to have a stronger foundation than that, and God gives it to us. So in Judges 6, what you need to know about the context is, is that God's people are under Midianite control or rule. And throughout Judges, God's raising up these judges to deliver God's people. And so um, they're ruled by this nation that worships other gods. And, and now God specifically calls Gideon 
to be his judge. Look in chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So Gideon's self-esteem, not high. Verse 16, And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And so from this point, um, uh, Gideon goes and, and he um, is told by God to be faithful and, and he asks God for this sign and God gives him the sign and then he um, is called to kind of take down the places of worship in, um, in this area that the Midianites had set up, but Gideon's scared so he does it in the cover of night because he doesn't want to offend the people and... And, and then the people start to see that Gideon is called to lead them. And so now Gideon's faced with this reality of what God told him to do was to lead the people. And that, and that, and that God would deliver through Gideon. But he still is struggling and he needs more assurance. And so look with me in verse 36. And it might be titled in your Bible like it is in mine, the sign of the fleece. Then Gideon said to God, If you'll save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. So he has this piece of wool. He lays it on the threshing floor. And he's like, okay, God, if there is dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And then the next morning comes, and it was so. Verse 38, when he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, so he, he gets up, he squeezes the fleece, and there's enough water to fill a bowl. And he's like, and you might think, like, is that enough? No. Verse 39, then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the, on the fleece only and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew, and Gideon's got his fleece, and, and, and you're, you kind of wonder, like, what's next? Like, half dew, half dry? Like, like kind of, what more do you need? When you read this carefully and you understand the context rightly, like look at what he says. He says in verse 36 and 37, there's a little phrase, and when he's talking to God, he's like, as you have said, Because we read it back in verses 14 through 16. God's already declared what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. And Gideon's feeling the weight of this in verse 39 when he says, let not your anger burn against me. And so when, when you understand the context of what's happening in this passage, is Gideon showing us a healthy method for discerning God's will in making decisions? Or do his actions reveal a lack of faith in what God has already spoken? Church, I think it's clearly the latter. Gideon admits it in the passage. I think the grace that God extends to to Gideon in, in his lack of faith is a gift of grace. And I don't believe it then is supposed to be normative for the way that we should then discern decisions and God's will. If you thought Gideon was showing you a way to discern God's will, that is the story you thought you knew. 
Instead, the story you need to know is that Gideon's story is a challenge for us to have faith to walk in the direction of what God has already said as the foundation for decision-making and discerning the will of God. So the big idea this morning from this passage is to walk by faith, not by fleece. Walk by faith, not by fleece. We got to learn to walk by faith at the foundation of our decision making, the, 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 the direction of our life, understanding the will of God, is to walk by faith in what God has already said. Don't rush to fleeces or anything like it as the primary method for discerning God's will or, or as necessary to add any confirmation to what God has already said. Yes, there's so many supernatural, beautiful, powerful ways that God can lead, but let that not be the foundation because it will lead us to a subjective, insecure place in decision-making that I do not believe is the heart of God. And in my now decades of following Jesus, one of the healthiest things has been for me to understand a right teaching on this subject. And so I want to introduce to you this morning out of this passage, a need to give a bit of an introduction or a survey of of biblical decision-making and how to understand the will of God so that we would not stay in this place of sort of anxiety and fear in making decisions so that we can walk by faith and not by fleece. Now, there's an emphasis here on introduce. I'm going to introduce this topic. It is a huge topic. You can just turn to your neighbor and be like, only an introduction, okay? Just let them know. Let's set the parameters. Like, it's going to be a high-level introduction, and so um, kind of a survey through a number of scriptures, three guiding principles that I believe are so central to God's Word as I'm going to unpack. First one is this. Dedicate your life to learning and living God's moral will. Church, can we just for a second just be reminded of the fact that we have God's word to us. The beauty and the power and the supernatural, miraculous work of God is already in our hands in God's word. Amen? Like we're not left needing, like, like there, is a, there is a supernatural and a, a sort of unknown way that God can work in our hearts and minds, but the foundation is not this sort of like, I need to go off to some oracle in the forest and, 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 and have someone discern what I should and shouldn't do. It's not a, a subjective like that there's some level of certainty and it's beautiful and it's good. It's like 1 Timothy 3 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness those are all directing words for our life so that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work so like we got to start by learning and living God's moral will first John 3 says for this is the love of God so how how do I stay in the love of God is the love of God just something that like I just feel No, it says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. The starting place is God's moral will. Knowing and keeping God's commandments is how we keep ourselves in the love of God. 
like God loved us so much that he protected and, and allowed these words to endure in such a way that they still speak with the same power that they spoke to God's people hundreds of years ago, even centuries ago. And he's already spoken some things, just like he'd already spoken some things to Gideon. Now, I want to unpack really quickly as we survey this, because this is going to be helpful for us later, is that um, there are ways that when we talk about God's will, we, we can sometimes confuse some different categories. There's three categories that people tend to use when talking about um, God's will. So let me introduce these to you first, is God's sovereign will. God's sovereign will is this idea of God's secret plan that he knows in all of his wisdom. It's like the verses that say like God's ways are higher than our ways is we have a limited perspective, but God has all perspective, right? And we come under and trust that, but it doesn't mean we know all of it all the time. And, and this, is, this is God's secret plan that leads to everything that happens throughout time. That's God's sovereign will. Two, when I'm making reference to God's moral will, like I did purposefully in this point, I'm talking about God's revealed will found in the word of God. And that word of God is, is been given to us to teach us what to believe and how to live. And it's not just words on a page. It leads us to the person of God and into an abiding relationship with God. Then what gets thrown in that causes confusion, I think a lot, is, is people talk about God's individual will. And they talk about it, and, and there's a part of it that I agree with, there's a part of it that I don't. It's God's specific, detailed, and ideal plan for your life. And this is the part I don't love, that I don't agree with biblically, and I'll unpack this. That you must discern to be faithful to God. See, I believe in the first two wills without question. Both God's sovereign will and his moral will. But when people start to say that, you need to to be faithful to God, that you need to discern every single moment of your life, like God's will is in every moment, and that individual will, I've got to stay on it, causes so much anxiety around people's lives. Because there's a part of God's sovereign will that's being worked out in my life all the time, but sometimes I only see it by looking, what, church, to the past, right? But if we live under this expectation that I've got to have every single step figured out, I have a problem with that. Because our responsibility is to walk by faith. And faith is walked out most clearly by dedicating your life to learning and living God's moral will. Those miraculous ways that God led in the, we see in the scriptures when God leads Gideon or Elijah or Abraham or Jesus or Paul. Those were not, they're not in the Bible so that we could be like, well, that's the normal way God works. That that's normative. It's not supposed to be the normative way we discern God's will. Believing that can cause us to live by fleece, not by faith. The Bible illustrates again and again the sweetness and the goodness of God's moral will. Like think with me some of the places in scripture. I'm not going to read all the passages, but I just want you to see it first. Some of my five favorite illustrations that stir my passion for God's moral will is uh, that the moral will is sweet to entice my pursuit. 
Psalm 19 talks about how it's the, the word of God is like, is like honey from the honeycomb. It's sweet to the taste. Hebrews 4 talks about God's word being living and active. It's, it's alive to impact my present. It's intended to direct my life. God's moral will. 1 Peter 1, it's the seed to multiply my blessing. So compelling, this moral will. 1 Peter 2, it's milk to nourish my soul. Then Psalm 119, it's light to direct my steps. Let's start, church, let's start with God's revealed moral will. Let's learn it and let's live it so that we can walk by faith, not by fleece, so that we can, like Gideon should have, have a confidence in what God has already spoken. And these things that God has already spoken, they're intended to, 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 to teach you about who God is, to, to shape the way you view the world, and to change the very uh, reality of who you are. And out of that, there are decisions that you make differently. And there are attitudes we maintain, and, and there's a truths to direct your thinking and motivations that God wants to correct. But we've got to start with a dedication to learning and living God's moral will. As I was writing this, I felt like any counsel from our church, any leadership that we can give as pastors and directors and elders at our church, at any level of spiritual leadership, there needs to be a, a warning label that says this. We cannot lead you further, cannot lead you further or deeper than your own dedication to learning and living God's moral will. We can't. We cannot do it. I've seen people try in ministry and simply burn out. We can't lead you further or deeper than your own dedication to learning and living God's moral will. That's the starting point. If we want to be confident in the decisions we're making, understanding God's will, start there. Second is this one. Enjoy the freedom God gives to his image bearers. Enjoy the freedom. From the very beginning of creation, you see God giving freedom in decisions where his moral will is not clearly defined. Look at Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's, that's a, that's a, can we agree? Strong warning from God. Really clear really clear. He's like, anywhere you want to eat, eat of the fruit, choose whatever you want. But then he gives a boundary, just not that tree. But within the boundary, God's giving freedom, like really good freedom to, to make decisions and consume and eat what you want. And, and it, it's, it's kind of like this is the picture that I think captures this. If you were if your house was, you're a parent, you've got some kids, and you've got a house that's like right up against a really busy street, you've got no front yard. It's just like a few feet out your door, and it's like the street with the cars rushing. But in the backyard, you've got a huge backyard, and the backyard's fenced off with a really secure fence. And you'd be a negligent parent if you were like, yeah, kids, play in the front yard, do whatever you want to do. 
you'd be negligent. It'd, be, it'd put your kids at risk. But if you let your kids in the backyard and you're just like, just go play. Do whatever you want. You'd be like, you'd be a responsible parent. Because there's space given for, for your kids to run and play and to be. And what we wouldn't want to be is the parent who's like, oh, 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 I got to make sure you're doing exactly the right thing at every at moment in time. That's what we refer to as a helicopter parent. A little too much. You could be a little too loose, you could be a little too much, but there's a balance in between. And would it not be consistent with our own sometimes parental wisdom to see that God, in his role as your father, is perfectly balanced? Perfectly balanced. This principle of freedom within the boundaries of God's commandments is seen uh, throughout Scripture. I mean, look at a really practical one, 1 Corinthians 7. 39, if a woman's husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. Whomever she wishes. But you notice what it says there? You see the commandment on this verse? But only in the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 7, it says only in the Lord at the end because it's like, listen, you have freedom to marry whoever you wish, but make sure that they're a follower of Jesus Christ. Make sure there's consistency there. I'll never forget along this idea of freedom in, in my... Um, in college, my a college pastor, Joe Belzer, um, love this man, personally discipled me for years. And uh, he got up in front and of uh, the college ministry, and there was like 300, 400 students. And you, you know college students, if you're either in that season or you've been in that season. Um, they're, they're a group that tends to be a bit concerned and consumed with relationships. Let's just uh, leave it there. And, uh, you know, in that a college season, uh, particularly in a college ministry, uh, wanting to honor God, you're watching your friends get engaged and married. And, you know, you got students all the time praying, God, lead me to the one perfect mate. I know there's one for me. And they're stressing about it and fretting about it. And they're like, is this the one? And it leads to an insane amount of instability in relationships, dating relationships. Like, I'm in, I'm out, I'm not sure. Like, you coughed a certain way. I think that might be a reason for us to break up. Uh, people just go over the top and praying, seeking God. Like, is this your perfect will, God? I can't screw this up. Into that environment, Joe teaching on the subject of decision-making, and marriage. He said, I love my wife and I have a great marriage, but I want you to know that there are many other women that I could have married and would have had a great marriage with them as long as they were committed to Christ. And you could have heard a, you could have heard a pen drop. People like, some people, so you could just see them, that's so unromantic. And then they'd look over at his wife and she was smiling. You know, it was one of those moments where he was probably like, okay, at that point, if you're frowning, this isn't going to go well for me. And, uh, and he, just, he, just, he just let it set. And from that point he taught, he said, he said, God has given you freedom to choose. But just remember the commandment. She has to be a disciple of Jesus. And then he unpacked that blessing and goodness in marriage is not defined by which believer you marry. There's freedom in that decision. But the blessing and goodness comes from faithfulness, watch this, faithfulness to God's moral will leading into marriage and throughout marriage. 
And that truth has held so tight both in my leading up to marriage and in my marriage over the past 22 years. Enjoy the freedom God's given to you as his image bearer. See, here's the problem. Here's the picture of of what happens with uh, God's will that gets us in a bad spot. Here's a traditional view of God's individual will. Uh, Get that picture up. There it is. Um, Moral will is God's permission, the boundaries that he gives us. But man, if we think and I, I adapted this as a great book down at the bottom. If you want to get a, a really great, longer, a detailed teaching on this subject, decision-making and the will of God, so blessed by that resource. But what happens is, is people get to this place where they're like, I've got to be on the dot. I'm like, God, am I supposed to go left or right? They're like, left. Okay, okay. Um, am I still on it? I think I might be half off of it. Like, God's blessing is not towards me. His favor, I'm losing it. Have you been in that place before? It's not a great place to live. People make these decisions feeling like every single little moment. As if God's like this helicopter parent in the, in, the, in the beautiful backyard and he's like trying to direct every single little step when sometimes God's like, listen, I love you. I've given you my moral will. Walk in the freedom that I gave you as my image bearers. Lay down the frustration and the fretting and the tentativeness and the anxiety that comes from believing that if there's, if I'm one step out of this specific will of God that I'm supposed to know perfectly somehow, that somehow I've, I've lost your favor, God. It's not even consistent with the character of God. God is going to give you some guidance. He's going to tell you, hey, don't go play in the busy street like the rest of the world, okay? He does lovingly give us some pretty direct things that we shouldn't do. But he also, in his moral will, gives us a beautiful backyard with so many opportunities and things that God could guide us in and lead us in and lots of room and space to have fun and live life and make decisions. Enjoy the freedom God gives to his image bearers. And so at this point, if you walk through this whole idea of decision making and understanding God's will, you might say, is, is that it? You know in your notes there's a third point coming, so you know something's coming next because we can't stop and be faithful to God's word by just saying, okay, we're supposed to live and we're supposed to learn and live God's moral will, and then we're supposed to enjoy the freedom. There's one more piece that's incredibly important. It's this number three, seek God's wisdom to sharpen your decision making. Seek God's wisdom to sharpen your decision-making. A first place you see, and most importantly here in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 says, look carefully, look carefully, church. Like, examine it. Like, you you can run with freedom, but also look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. I think wisdom is supposed to give confidence to our steps, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So there is a purpose to our lives. It's not just like, know God's moral will and just play in the backyard. There is a plan that he wants to unfold, and he wants us to discern it over time, and I think that comes from walking in a way of wisdom. If you think about other places in Scripture, one of my favorite places, there's two verses in Proverbs that 
that give us an understanding not just of wisdom, but then also of some ways that God wants us to discern wisdom. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is what church? Say it. What does it say? Safety. Safety. I want safety. I want that in my life. 1522 says, without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they what? Succeed. These are promises from wisdom. Promises from wisdom. So there needs to be this element of counsel that can help us get wisdom then Ecclesiastes 10.10, 10, and i got to be honest, this verse was not familiar to me, but it will be a core verse in any time I teach or counsel this subject of, of decision making. Look what it says. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to, what's the word there again? Succeed. Succeed. And so what I love about this one is this explains why we get frustrated sometimes and tired. Because we're not walking in wisdom. And we're swinging the same blunt axe on something over and over again. And we're like, this is so hard. Have you had a moment where you've looked at something and you've been like, this is so excruciating and difficult. And then you look over and somebody's just like, cut the, cut the wood cut the wood and they have a whole pile of wood cut and you're like you got like two pieces and you're sweating because of the effort that you've had to give it says it right here God's like what you need to do is you need to take wisdom of from so many sources that we're gonna I'm gonna gonna unpack clearly so we know because I want you to have a a sharp axe for your life so that you're not exerting effort that you don't need to exert so that you're not wasting um, effort that God could have for so many different things in your life we want to sharpen the edge of wisdom in our life so that we can find success here's the thing that you realize wisdom is an accumulated resource It matures and grows over time. It gets sharper over time. A failure to use wisdom rightly means that you're going to have to use more strength. You're going to be trying harder to get to the same place that another person is who's walking in wisdom. And so we got to seek God's wisdom to sharpen your decision making. Sometimes wisdom comes from uh, seeking uh, uh, to, to learn and live God's word over time. If if you're new to the faith, let me just encourage you to be patient. You're going to be walking and you're going to hear ways that God's success and safety and favor are playing out in people's lives. You're going to be like, I'm just not there yet. This is really hard. And if you express that to us, we're going to be like, hey, guess what? We got some great counsel that we can give that can advance the sharpening process for your acts so that you can find success. Sometimes wisdom comes from the right counselor at the right time, and then sometimes wisdom just comes from, honestly, and sometimes in really difficult ways, it just comes from life experience. Sometimes they're, they're positive things, and then sometimes they're really difficult things. But you're like, that was really hard. I really would have loved to just learn that another way. But you just got to trust that to God's sovereign will. Regardless of the source, church, what I want us to do And to hear and to see from God's word, from his moral will, is this. Learn to seek 
God's wisdom. Learn to seek God's wisdom. And what starts to happen when you do this is that God will sharpen your understanding of God's will for your life and clarity around certain decisions and it will actually, in a really beautiful way, it will actually limit your freedom in certain areas, but it won't be a bad limiting. It will be a good, loving limit. Think about it. When a counselor, like in my life, there's counselors that have been like, you know what? You probably shouldn't get yourself in that situation again. And they're like, I've heard people even use the reference, there's a hole in that road. Like, you might have the freedom to go down that road. Me, I go down that road, there's like, there's potholes and, and, and I'm going to end up off the road. Like, I can't go there. Some people, because of a struggle with something like, like alcohol, are, are like, I can't do alcohol in moderation. So I've actually set a limit around my life. I'm wise in that. And I'm sharper because of that. Um, some, some people have, have looked at their life and, and, and said, you know what? I'm wasting way too much time on that hobby and at the expense of other biblical priorities. And you know what? For a season or maybe, temp, maybe permanently, I'm going to limit my freedom in that. Every one of those moves, when we identify that, simply sharpens our wisdom. It looks like this. This is the picture of, of what it looks like when we think about uh, God's will and the context of what we've talked about. This is sort of the, the first picture I showed you and all those little lines, but over time, this is what happens. We start, to, we start to make some moves and we start to go, you know what, I can't go that direction. I don't have freedom. If you're, like, if you're playing in the backyard, you're like, every time I get on the swing, and try to swing, I fall off and hurt myself. Well, maybe you should stop swinging on the swing set. And there's some things like that that's accumulated resource of wisdom that you have in your life and I have in mine where I'm like, man, I get on that thing, I'm going to fall off. And I can tell you that there are just some cool ways that God has sharpened wisdom in my life, like I'm sure he has with you. And so as I, as I kind of bring this message to a close, let me just try to summarize it to be as helpful as possible for all of us. And I want to kind of combine this with the other two points and let us uh, be able to leave today with something really practical as a summary to help us all in decision making and in discerning God's will. Here it is. Five signs you are seeking God's wisdom. Five signs you are seeking God's wisdom. I want all of us to have these happening in our life in increasing measure. First, we got to be a people that are consulting God's word. Consulting God's word. Like, church, I, um, all of God's word can help inform our perspective of God. The things we were just declaring in worship are truths about what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. I heard us singing about that. I heard us singing about the character of God that, we, that literally causes us to say, I'm not going to live my life out from underneath that truth. I'm going to live my life with the worldview of God's character. In addition... God's word has really, really good wisdom for everything from how we speak to how we think to specific decisions we should make. If you're newer to the faith, let me just encourage you something that has been a sustainable pattern in my life 
is I spend a lot of time in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, everybody's like, oh, I really want to find a good devotional. Proverbs is your devotional. I, I still, to today, um, most often, um, when I'm spending time in God's word each day, I do this. Oh, it's the 17th, chapter 17 of Proverbs. Have I mastered Proverbs? No, I have not. I still need a lot of wisdom for my life, and Proverbs provides it in abundance. And I love that Proverbs has 31 chapters because pretty much every day is covered. And that Proverbs 31, you know, you get that every once in a while throughout an entire year, and uh, it's such a great place to find wisdom. We've got to consult God's Word. That's the first, and we've got to ask the Spirit to bring that Word to bear on our lives. Then this, listening to wise counselors, is another sign you're seeking God's wisdom. Church, let me just encourage you here. Um, be teachable and humble. Be teachable and humble. Also, I would say, I think I said this in a message a few weeks ago, um, be careful that your counsel is only coming from within your home. Be careful that your counsel is only happening within your marriage. I think sometimes we can kind of get this thing called groupthink, and uh, it's, it's amazing how over time in marriage you start to think the same about certain things. You s- sort of have this uh, a set of shared fears and anxieties that sort of play out. Get some outside counsel. Every point in my life in marriage when I've entered into a new context, like when I moved to Michigan seven years ago, like I'm immediately like looking, who has so much wisdom in relationships with God and with others? Who has wisdom on finances? Who has wisdom on uh, uh, cultivating a rich, passionate love for Jesus? And I want to learn from those people. I'm going to learn from them. When I need it, and then sometimes even when, I'm just not sure, but I think I can benefit, Right? And so that's the second one. Third, uh, we're processing with sober-mindedness. Church, sometimes good biblical decision-making comes simply because we choose to step outside of the urgency of the situation and just slow down. Just slow down. Does that decision absolutely have to happen right now? Dedicate the decision to the Lord in prayer. Listen carefully. Then fourthly, this. If you're making decisions in line with God's wisdom, you're going to be making decisions with confidence and joy. That's a sign. Joy because you're resting in who God is, not in the perfection of needing to make every decision perfectly. And then finally, you're reviewing outcomes to sharpen wisdom. The outcomes of my decisions can sharpen the wisdom for the next decision that I'm going to have to make. I mean, I mean, it, listen, in, in the whole world of dating before I met Amy, there were some things I learned. There was some wisdom I discerned. There were some uh, types of people that I was like, that is not going to work for me. And I discerned that carefully so that when I met Amy, I was like, um, yes, yes, yes. And there were some very clear things that I knew about the way she complimented me, and that has been a great blessing to me and to our marriage. I've learned a lot of lessons in the last seven years in this role at Christ Church. 
Church, I've, I've learned so much from what I would put as the category, the broad category of unintentional mistakes. Things I just didn't have perspective on, experience that I didn't have in making certain decisions. And, and, and listen, I, like you, when you've made those mistakes, we live with the weight and the consequences of those mistakes, don't we? And that can be a place of great heaviness. And sometimes either gu- also guilt and shame. But i got to be honest, I think sometimes the character of God, when we approach humbly and rightly, God just says to my heart again and again, one, I've forgiven you, that's covered. But just learn. Just learn from that mistake. Just allow the wisdom from what you've walked through to help guide you forward. And let it sharpen your wisdom so that you can avoid those mistakes in the future. And that's going to continue to happen in any human endeavor, in any leadership, in a home, or in a marriage, or in a church. And I just pray that increasingly the culture of our church would be to endure well and wisely, but at a certain point be like, are you learning the lesson you need to learn? Lovingly and carefully. I've seen the, the, the blessing of this at many, many levels in my own life and leadership and in the people that are leading around me, and it is encouraging. And when you walk in this way, characterized by these things, you start to walk by faith, not by fleece, and with that comes a peace that isn't anchored in uh, some sort of subjective sensing of God as the foundation. I think God can do amazing things upon the foundation and miraculous and supernatural things. But I want us to have that foundation secure. There's a peace there. There's a confidence for the people of God that I believe God wanted and intended to bring in giving us his word and giving us freedom and giving us ways to sharpen our wisdom. And so let's be encouraged by this. Let's take this message and walk forward in so many ways that can lead our lives well in a way that honors God and glorifies him. Let's pray together. God, I ask that you would remind us right now that that even you in your final days wrestled with the will of God. God, I'm reminded that you didn't want to take the cup of suffering and And in the wrestling in the Garden of Gethsemane, you got to a place where you walked it out by faith and you declared, not my will but yours be done. Jesus, be our model. Let Gideon not be our model. Let the model of submission to God's will and a willingness for that to happen lead us to learning and living God's moral will. Let us enjoy the freedom you've given us and let us continue to sharpen our wisdom. So God, thank you for this truth, the way it can bring so much blessing. I pray that it would bring blessing to this group of people that I love. Let us walk carefully and wisely, God, so that we might honor you and also find in you the character of a good father. Thank you, God, for leading us. Thank you for loving us in this way. Continue that work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.